0: I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Press and I have the privilege of uh, bringing you the Word of God this morning and uh, I'll be honest, it's been about seven months and this has been the longest duration uh, since I had to preach. I was kind of like dusting off like all the rust and all the different, you know, sermon preps and all the things that I used to do that I haven't done, Uh, but it was uh, such a wonderful time of preparing this message, praying for you guys, praying for our church and how the Word of God can really um, uh, be applicable in how we are to live out our faith. So can we all stand uh, before we begin a reading of God's holy and inerrant Word together? And we're finishing off uh, the Philemon series uh, uh, this morning and covering the last portion of the text in verses 21 and 25 confident of your obedience i write to you knowing that you will do even more than i say at the same time prepare a guest room for me for i'm hoping that through your prayers i will be graciously given to you Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in christ jesus sends greetings to you and so do mark aristarchus demas and luke my fellow workers the grace of the lord jesus christ be with your spirit amen you may be seated The question that I want us to think about this morning as we begin is, how do you handle conflicts and reconciliation? C.S. Lewis uh, in Mere Christianity said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. And I bet many of us could resonate with that quote as reconciliation, like forgiveness, seems like a lovely idea until we actually have to reconcile with someone. And at that point, because of the difficulty and the messiness that's involved in reconciliation, we'd rather put it aside for another time rather than to address it head on. I mean, how many of us have strained relationships that we have a hard time reconciling? I'm sure whether we were involved as an offender or we were the one offended, all of us at some point will, uh, either we have or will experience a need to reconcile. But the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing and do we see the need for it? This message was a hard message for me to prepare, not because the text was so difficult to exegete and explain, but because forgiving someone and reconciling with someone is something that is not easy to apply in one's life. I was thinking about the conflicts that I've experienced in my life in the past and how I dealt with them. I've been on the side of the offender feeling bad about what I have done to someone, but rather than seeking forgiveness or reconciliation, I would just justify it in my head. I'm sure it wasn't that big of a deal. Or I would say things like, oh, but the person moved on and it would just be painful to bring back all the, the bad memories that they might have gotten over. So I moved on without ever really dealing with the issue nor my heart. Or I've been on the other side of being offended where I was hurt by the other person's actions that left me angry, bitter, and resenting the person, but never really confronting or praying with or for that person as I find myself not having the courage to confront nor willingness to forgive. So I move on, never dealing with the heart issue that's at play in every one of those conflicts that I face. And I miss the opportunity that I had in seeing Christ glorified and my heart being renewed and deepened and stretched in those moments of conflicts that I ignored. And I'm sure most of us have our own stories of how badly we might have handled conflicts or avoiding conflicts and recon- reconciliation at all costs. But what if reconciliation was God's gift of grace to us in revealing the beauty of the gospel that we desperately need? Reconciliation is ugly and messy, so how could that really point to the gospel, you may be thinking? Well, what if reconciliation was part of God's design, not only to deepen our love for God, but to deepen our love for one another in the community? A potentially ruinous conflict, if viewed properly through the lens of the gospel and handled delicately in love, not only glorify god but bring joy in the community and that was my prayer for new life in my prep this week if you remember the theme of this year is restored healing and wholeness in christ and part of our healing and part of us finding wholeness in christ is about learning the importance of reconciliation that i believe the book of philemon urges us to pursue so hopefully as we wrap up the three-week series today we can better learn about how we are to view Reconciliation biblically, how we are to pursue generously and how we're fueled to reconcile for his glory and for our edification. So those are the three points. First, obedience. This is how we are to view reconciliation. How often do we approach reconciliation like it's extra credit or something that we should do? It may be good for us to do it, but it's really not that big of a deal if we don't. And if we're honest, I'm sure most of us feel that way, and it's something that we don't really want to uh, deal with, as it could be a matter of ignorance, of us not knowing. Maybe it's pride getting in the way, or fear, or laziness, or avoidance, or deep hurt that we might have experienced. Different reasons we might have for not wanting to do it, but what we need to understand is that conflict, although painful part it may be, is the reality of living in a broken world. And we need to not only embrace and be prepared, but to redeem it. Conflicts are what sinners like you and I will experience on this side of glory. And reconciliation will be part of how we could restore, redeem broken relationships marred by conflicts. And the first point we learn from this text is how Paul teaches us how we are to view reconciliation as necessary work that we as believers are called to do. Paul begins his concluding remarks in verse 21 by expressing his confidence in Philemon's obedience. Now, some of you may be thinking, if you've been following us in the Philemon series uh, that we talked about last week, and Paul's appeal to reconcile in verses 8 and 9 was not through using his epistolic authority to command Philemon to a boy, which he had every right to do, but Paul urging Philemon to forgive and reconcile by appealing through love he says accordingly though i am bold enough in christ to command you to do what is required yet for love's sake i prefer to appeal to you so then why would he all of a sudden change his strategy to pressure philemon it seems like to obey all of a sudden is that what's really happening here in this text well, in order to address that question, we have to take a look at two words in verse 21 very carefully. First, the word confidence, and the second, the word obedience. First word translated as confidence in Greek could be translated as having been persuaded. And this is where Don in his commentary writes, The perfect tense as usual will indicate a settled trust resulting from previous experience of Philemon as one in whom confidence could be placed. Paul's use of the word here is not trying to compel or coerce Philemon to do this or maybe put it in our Asian shame-based culture where we like to passively, aggressively guilt-trip someone to do it. That's not what's happening here. As we see Paul over and over throughout the letter being consistent in reassuring Philemon not to act out of obligation but to do it out of love. Remember, this was a personal letter that Paul is writing to another friend acknowledging the full confidence that he had in Philemon that he will do the right thing, not because he's being forced to, but because he has done so in the past. I like to talk about Chicago sports. I'm going to do it every opportunity I get. But imagine, not that I'm a close friend to Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player, but imagine if I was a close friend to Michael Jordan in 1998. I don't even know if we really had cell phones to text uh, at that time, but just pretend, okay? Michael Jordan's my close friend, and the night before his last Game 6 of the NBA Finals in Utah, I text him. It was a potential series clincher for Michael, uh, his sixth title, so I write this to him. Michael, buddy, I'm confident that you guys will win Game 6, and that you will win the Finals MVP. Now, do you think I'm pressuring Michael to be better at what he is already? No. I'm simply confident that the previous five times that Michael has been to the NBA Finals, guess what happened? He closed out the series in Game 6. In the NBA Finals, he has never gone to Game 7 like I know some people uh, tend to do, okay? Um, But Jordan never did that. And the previous five times that he's been to the NBA Finals, guess what? He has been the finals MVP. So history has a way of, you know, uh, placing confidence in what he will do uh, next. And that's the kind of same confidence that is used in a similar sense of Paul recognizing the fact that he has no doubt that Philemon will do the right thing. He's not pressuring him to do it, but past has indicated in his character that has been proven that he will be gracious second the word obedience although does have the strong force of calling someone to obey i think the point that paul is trying to get at is this paul doesn't use this word obedience often but when he does it happens in the context of when paul is speaking about the general demand that accompanies the gospel and here one commentary notes the obedience here is the objectless obedience Not referring to the obedience to what Paul has asked Philemon to do, but simply obedience of faith, obedience to the gospel, which is also the obligation to the practice of love. If you read with me in Romans 1.5, it says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith, For the sake of his name among all the nations. This is that word obedience that is highlighted, that is used in this text in Philemon. Romans 15, 18. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring Gentiles to obedience. And also in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and 6. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. The point of emphasis in the word here is not so much directed to Paul and his request, but obedience to the general gospel imperative. Moo in his commentary writes, the fellowship created by faith carries with it obligations to believe in Christ is to come under his law, the law of love. Brothers and sisters, this is the great commandment in Matthew 22. We're all called to obey, to love God, And to love your neighbor as yourself. And in this sense, Paul has appealed to Philemon to reconcile the obedience that he is referring to, that he is so confident in Philemon obeying is the gospel imperative to love God and to love others. And the lesson for us in this is that obedience to reconcile is the obedience to love in action. It's the important relationship that exists between the indicatives and the imperatives that we often wrestle with in our faith. The indicatives are to simply put what has been done, and the imperatives are what we are to do, that flow from the indicatives. Christ saved us not because we have done good works, but by his good work, he saved us to do good works. It's the imperative indicative balance we have to get right. And Herman Ritterbaugh's insight into Paul's theology reiterated here, he says, every imperative of Scripture, what we are to do for God, rests on the uh, indicative, who we are in a relationship with God, and the order is not reversible. The order is not reversible, but call to obey the imperative still remains for us that I think so many of us uh, fail to recognize attention in getting this balance right and here uh, this is where westminster confession of faith in this section explaining the law of god is a very helpful way to understand the necessity of our obedience that sometimes we fail to uh do in 196 it says although true believers are not justified or condemned by the law as a covenant of works the law is nevertheless very useful that, to them and to others as a rule of life It informs them of God's will and of their obligation to obey it. It also reveals to them the sinful pollution of their nature, hearts, and lives, so that examining themselves from its point of view, that they may become more convinced of the presence of sin in them, more humiliated on account of that sin, and hate sin the more. It's about how the law is not contrary to the grace of the gospel, but it adds to it. It complies with it. It's Paul's brilliant plea to persuade Philemon to obey, reconciling, that is not done through his authority, but exhortation to obey in our privileged duty. The gospel duty to love and reconcile may not be a glamorous glamorous path to follow, but I pray and hope that our willingness to obey will be motivated and grounded in seeing this obedience as our duty as those that have been forgiven and reconciled to go and do likewise. So that's the first point we see the necessity of our obedience. Second, in this, uh, in, in this point, it teaches us how we are to pursue reconciliation. In verse 21, he says, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. That's the definition of what being generous is. It's being liberal in giving or sharing that is neither necessary or expected. And this is a principle of showing generosity that goes beyond what you're called. This is where reconciliation goes beyond just forgiving someone. Now, let's recap what's at stake here one more time. Because what Paul has asked Philemon to do is not an easy thing in a normal day-to-day context. Onesimus committed a serious crime and he was being brought back as a runaway slave, a fugitive. And back then in the eyes of the Roman justice system, that crime warranted Onesimus being severely beaten, possibly even to his death. And the Roman law allowed that to put fear in the Roman world of a slave uprising. So Paul's loving appeal here is not denying nor minimizing the freedom that Philemon had in choosing how he wants to go about this situation. From the legal standpoint, Philemon technically had every right to punish Onesimus for what he had committed. Who knows, he might have even resented him for doing what he did. As a useless slave, who wasn't even worth it during his time of service under Philemon? Our family recently moved to our house just to kind of give you guys an update with our housing situation. I know many of you guys have been asking. So thank you for your prayers and support. Uh, For the last seven months, we are slowly unpacking and getting settled. But uh, one of the things uh, I noticed as Helen and I have been busy every night trying to unbox and and settle is that although I have three boys, uh, and you would think, you know, seeing, you know, their parents, you know, slaving away at night, you know, unboxing and cleaning the house, that they might offer some help in saying, Mom, Dad, do you need some help? I mean, sometimes they do. And I don't know if they actually would do it if I asked them to. But this one night, I was so frustrated because I was just working all day and then come home to unbox. I called them, you guys are just like Philemon. And they looked really confused. They're like, what what do you mean, dad? Like, you are so useless. Why can't you be useful? And I was thinking about that. And that may be the frustration that Philemon had every right to extend to Onesimus as a frustrated owner who wasn't even getting what he was paying uh, Onesimus to do. And perhaps that's what he might be feeling. Yet, what Paul is asking for here is to go beyond what he had every right to exercise. Yet, knowing all of this, Paul says, That he's confident that Philemon will not only forgive Onesimus, but will reconcile with Onesimus by going above and beyond and to receive him as a beloved brother. How was he so confident? Because confidence was rooted, not just Philemon as a person who has demonstrated in his character, but in the transforming power of the gospel that was at work in their lives. Remember, Paul firsthand experienced the generosity that is found in the gospel that Philemon also experienced that they shared in. If you remember when Paul wanted to be refreshed by Philemon, in verse 20, it says, I want some benefit from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in Christ. Twice we see the reference to in the Lord and in Christ because it was a gospel center fellowship that they shared in, that became the basis of Paul's confidence that Philemon will go above and beyond what is called for. And the lesson for us in learning about what this process looks like in our pathway to reconciling is that the best way toward reconciliation is to be rooted in the gospel because the gospel is all about his generosity at full display. Because the gospel... It's not just about God forgiving us of all our sins and canceling our debt, which he did. But the good news of the gospel is also God, through his perfect obedience and life and death, crediting us all of his righteousness that he has earned on our behalf that we could not do on our own. That same gospel that is unconditional, undeserved, full of mercy, love, and grace, Is what Paul imagines and is confident in that will move Philemon to do even more than what was asked. He might even be hinting at Philemon to return him back to him as he was very useful in his ministry. That could be the case. We don't know for sure. The text doesn't say. But what we do know is that reconciliation that is rooted and motivated by the gospel moves us to show generosity That goes beyond what is expected, or even in the case of it being undeserved. The question I want us to think about this morning is what will this generosity look like in your life practically? Are you generous, or are you stingy when it comes to how you deal with people? Are you quick to forgive, or are you quick to anger? Are you quick to point out people's mistakes? Or are you quick to cover and accept people's flaws to be gracious? Are you always blaming or do you take responsibility for your mistakes? Are you willing to forgive even when you have been wrong? Are you willing to forgive and reconcile even when the person is totally undeserving of it? Are you willing to overlook past offenses or do you grudgingly and bitterly hold on to them? What will this generosity look like in your life? I mean, think about why reconciliation is so hard for so, so many of us. It's difficult because reconciliation takes two parties to come together, and usually in that process, no one wants to do that, as so much of that focus is usually on the other person not doing what we want, isn't it? And this is where Dave, David Paulson, a biblical counselor, described angry parties in bitter conflict as this. And I think this is what makes reconciliation hard that we need to recognize and redeem. He says, each person is usually consumed, uh, he says, they have nursed grievances, so bitterness and suspicion are long-standing. Each person is usually consumed with the offenses and unreasonableness of the other and with justification for his own side. Most feel hopeless about their situation. The other person won't change and are defensive about themselves. They minimize their own need for change. I mean, isn't this what makes reconciliation hard? Because it's usually always the fault of the other person, we think. Now, I don't want to minimize the seriousness or the difficulty or how long this process of reconciliation may look like. There are some of us that have been seriously wronged and offended by a family member, close friend, co-workers, church members. I mean, I could go on and on. And I don't want you to feel like you're being forced to go beyond what you may be able to handle at this moment. And this is not to minimize the hurt and pain and the, or the consequences of what we may experience as a result of what has taken, uh, taken place when someone has wronged us deeply. Those pains are real, and there is a process of healing that takes time that I want us to acknowledge, especially when someone is abusive, toxic, or unrepentant. But how does being saturated in the good news of the gospel move us to be generous to others? And how does that motivate our pursuit of restoring some of the broken relationships that we have in our lives? The application this point calls for is for us to rest in the good news of the gospel. It's not thinking about what I'm going to do with the other person yet. But it's to let the gospel saturate and cover our hearts so that we could find peace in Christ first. And only then can we discover not only our need for Christ and how he covers us and how we could rest in him but to be moved to pursue peace with one another. That's what we see here in the second point, where Paul is confident of Philemon's obedience, that he's not urging out of obligation, but out of love. And lastly, how we could be fueled to reconcile is for us to be grace-filled. Just as Paul began his letter with grace in his greeting, He also ends by wrapping up the letter with his benediction and emphasizing grace that we are to receive in order to do the work that he has called us to do. Not only do we see our obedience as part of our reconciling work we are called to do. And not only do we need to see the pattern of generosity that is shared in our approach to reconciliation, but none of these things can be accomplished apart from the grace of God that we are to hold on to. Paul closes his letter in verses 23-24 and mentioning, as usual, the greetings of those who were with him. He mentions Apophorus, who was a fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus with Paul. Mark, the young man who failed Paul on his first uh, missionary journey that we see in Acts uh, 12 and 15. This same Mark is the one that Paul had forgiven and was later grateful for his faithful ministry, as we see in 2 Timothy 4. We don't have time to dive into it, but that's another great example of reconciling work that is at play. Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke are also mentioned as fellow workers. And this was a typical way that Paul concluded his uh, letters and also with the benediction. But he expands the final phrase with be with your spirit. Now, I don't want to over-exegete this phrase, but the use of the spirit here, this is clearly referring to the human spirit Uh, That is uh, implied and perhaps Paul's way of emphasizing you as a spiritual person, not individually, but collectively as a whole to receive the grace and the spirit of God in and through you to be one in spirit. And perhaps this benediction is more fitting and appropriate for people to receive as this work of reconciliation is one that cannot be done apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to fuel our obedience. Grace is what transformed Saul to Paul. Grace is what transformed useless to become useful. Grace is what motivated and fueled Philemon to go above and beyond and to receive Onesimus, not as a slave returning, but as a brother to receive that, whom he uh, was to serve with. Let me ask us, have you received this grace in your life? If so, how does this grace move you to love and reconcile with others in our lives? As we close, I want us to kind of think about why reconciliation is so important and why we need to pursue it as a body of Christ. We see this beautiful story of reconciliation, not only in the story of Philemon that we're wrapping up, that we have explored in the past three weeks, but it's actually what we've been exploring in all of our series. We went through the Nehemiah series, and the purposes in which God had used Nehemiah to rebuild the walls was to really restore God's people to himself, wasn't it? It was a reconciling work of God that he did in drawing his people to himself who were prone to run away. The Revelation series that we just wrapped up, points to the end of life that we get to look forward to enjoy for eternity and we could hang there in life through the difficult moments because God has redeemed and restored us to himself by the reconciling work of Jesus Christ our lord and savior but this is not only through the series that we explore but it's actually the whole story throughout the bible The gospel is about God sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to redeem, restore, and to reconcile our broken relationships left by sin. It's about the redemption and reconciliation that was offered by the offender despite it being undeserved. The story of Onesimus is a redemptive story for all of us, brothers and sisters. So in being reminded of this beautiful, redemptive gospel story that is for us and in us, will you be captivated by his love to pursue reconciliation? I'm not saying it's easy, but will you be encouraged, will you be courageous by his love to see reconciliation as an opportunity to see God's redemptive purposes in and through us the challenge for us is not so much about learning about what reconciliation looks like in our heads but to be moved in our hearts to act this may be a difficult and messy process and i guarantee you it will be but it will be rewarding because when we do Christ is honored and glorified and the world will know that we are his disciples as we see the gospel shining in each and every one of our lives through our ministry of reconciliation that not only do we have with God and with one another. So if there are some of you that are in need of being reconciled, may I plead with you to seek to be reconciled with God first and foremost, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and motivate your hearts to overflow in seeking peace with one another. Let's pursue in love, to love, for the love of our great King and our great Savior. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are so thankful for reminding us that we have this great life that we get to look forward to because you have sent your one and only Son, Jesus Christ, who came down to earth to seek and save lost souls like us here in this room. And it was only by your reconciling work that you have done in our hearts that becomes the ground and the fuel for the reconciling work that we are to do with one another. And although this process may be painful and hard at times, and many of us may want to run away and be tempted to ignore and minimize but fuel us in your grace and by your grace to move to love so that the world can know that your love is real in our hearts so that the world can know the beauty of the gospel that saved each and every one of us. And may you be honored and glorified. Equip us, encourage and strengthen us for this work that we are to do as one body for your great name.